0: And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm an author, speaker, coach, and advocate for adult survivors of childhood trauma and abuse. In this podcast, you will learn how to transform your trauma into triumph, turn breakdowns into breakthroughs, and go from victim to being the hero of your own story. You can learn more at thinkunbrokenpodcast.com, and of course, check us out on Apple Podcasts and Spotify at Think Unbroken Podcast. So what happened in your life in that moment that actually inspired you to create change? Because I think that happens that happens to a lot of people and nothing comes from it. But why, why were you inspired to do something different in that time?
1: Rudy, that's a really great question because I actually joined the firm that I worked for because I was previously an entrepreneur running my own business. And I thought, do you know what, I want to see the difference side of the fence and see what it's like being an employee and I joined the firm specifically to do get personal development opportunities and get all the training and experience that the firm offered um and actually that point when I was told I had no emotional intelligence I reached out to the firm and said well I'd like some coaching please to, to help me and they said oh no I'm really sorry you're not the right grade um to get coaching and I was like oh Okay, that's, that's an interesting thing. So I had to write my own performance plan, get assessed against the performance of my own performance plan to prove that I had I <laughs> could, could perform better, and they wouldn't give me the professional coaching support. So I thought to myself, you know, I am I've got control here um, because I have my own business previously and I've the power to get the support that I need. And so I paid for the coaching myself the professional coaching that I wanted to have and I started with a business coach who really kind of focused on the business issue which was this performance review and he was a really great coach and he helped me realize it wasn't me the firm you know there were there were a lot of moving parts beyond just me as being the being the problem and reaching out to a high performance coach my coach was Diane Schrock, who who was part of the high performance academy Um, she's actually an emotional intelligence coach and she quickly helped me realize that it wasn't, it wasn't just me. It was the system that was broken. Um, and that's how I pulled myself out is taking back control and not assume, not allowing people to, um, steal my own personal power, which is what they, in essence, had done in the corporate spaces. I wasn't able to be myself. You know, I got told, oh, you're too rough around the edges. You need to be cut. I, I was, I, I said, I was liking that I was an oval and I needed to become a circle. And it's like, well, stars don't fit in circular holes. You don't want to get rid of the spot, you know, the the pointy edges because you want, you know, those, that star to shine brightly. If you think about back to your kids, kids games. And that, and that, you know, I might be a bit pointy and I might be a bit rough at times and a bit direct. But that's me, uh, and that's just the way just the way I am. And yes, I have softened, of course, because I've been through this coaching journey and I've looked at myself in the process. Um, but I think the core thing there was that I wasn't able to show up as me it, it, in that company. It was diminishing me. Um, and so taking back control of who I was and who I wanted to be and where I wanted to go was always there. And I'd just given it away as yeah. being part of that, that entity of that firm.
0: And so many people do. And it's, you know, you're not playing the game, right? And and that's kind of what it is. I I must have gotten a bazillion performance reviews working corporate before I went on my own and started my own businesses and i I got kicked out of team meetings i would get kicked out of like people would be like if you say one more thing like you're out of here and i'd be like yeah but you guys don't get it like here are the answers here are the things that make sense and and look i'm not going to say sometimes i wasn't wrong because i assuredly was but you know to to work for companies where you're not val and i I don't even know if necessarily validated is the right phrase that i want to use but to work for companies and corporations in which you are not appreciated like for your words, and you're given the space to speak up, which is the entire point of working for a company. Yeah, you got to dip because that's going to end up really bad. And that's obviously what happened for you. Mm -hmm. And so you're in this transformation, you're seeing the impact that coaching is having on your life. Uh, I can relate to that entirely. Um, It's a huge reason why I am a coach today. Mm -hmm. And, and in that, what starts to transform in your in your body, in your mind, in your spirit, in your energy, like what are some of the, like the telltale signs of growth for you in this? So
2: I
1: think, um, the biggest shift for me was so that the obvious one that was really rock bottom when I started was energy, which is really what I focus on in my coaching now. So my energy at the time was rock bottom.
0: And, so and energy was, define that please.
1: So having being able to get out of bed in the morning you know, was mm. one of the fir- first things. When you're in a really dark place, I was just sick all the time. You know, I was sick with sinus problems. I was, I was struggling. To, I was always crying all the time. Um, I, I was exhausted emotionally. I was exhausted physically. Um, I was exhausted mentally, um, just because of all of the, all of the rubbish that I was having to deal with in the firm and I you know, when I was exhausted spiritually because I wasn't doing what I was passionate about, and the the big the big shift that started me realising, do you know what? This is not me. This is the firm. Was when I were at the time. I'm I'm in the military as a reservist. This this is not the firm. That this is a se- was a separate thing. But I, I was it. I'm a military ski instructor, and I was asked to to lead a team of people uh, in the Alps teach them skiing. Um, and that's part of my reservist commitment and um, when I was doing that it was a really stressful environment really uh, complex personalities and I did perfectly fine I was the only instructor on the trip which is very rare um, and I did totally fine doing doing all of that and and delivered you know exceptional results and everyone was super happy and pleased with me and I couldn't have been put in a harder harsher environment whiteouts all the time Diverse range of experiences, and I performed at, at my best, and I wasn't stressed, I wasn't flustered or anything. But as soon as I put myself back into the work environment that I was in and exposed to, I just turned into a a, a crumbly mess kind of thing. I just didn't want to be there. It was it was like this flight thing, and so it was a real sign that do you know it's how important your environment is for you to flourish and once i realized that it wasn't just me it was the the toxicity of the environment and that includes people that really allowed me to to shift the lens to putting the power back into myself and knowing that do you know i can own this i've got this i know i've got it there are examples of how i can do it and I, and i can pull myself out of this rut um and that really started me on on that trajectory and then, uh, and then the second one was when I went to um, the high performance academy live in the state. When I decided at the academy that this was my time to train as a coach, as a high performance coach at that time, and I was going to hand my notice in at work because it because it was just not serving me, and go back to being an entrepreneur, which is what I loved. Um, and and as soon as I got back, I handed my notice in. Um, and and served my term, which was unfortunately a bit longer than it is for you guys in the States, but um, but and then left. So,
2: yeah,
0: is that when, when you got into that training? Is that HPX? Is that Brendan Burchard's?
1: Yes, it is. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, so Brendan is actually what I would call my original mentor. Oh, um, A <laughs> 100%. Like without that dude, I would not be here right now. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it's really interesting. That when you look at and you understand all of the things that create high performers, it's it's really never anything about money. It's never about accolades. It's never about accomplishments. It's about how you show up as yourself every day. Like, are you in your habits that make your life better? Are you assessing yourself? Like his HPX journal is unbelievable. I stopped yeah. using it because I feel like I'm really in tune with myself these days. But, you know, four or five years ago, it was an awesome, awesome thing that I did. And, and I think that people who will get into coaching or find coaching will, will find that, that Brandon is like the OG in the game. There's a lot of people doing it, but like him, Tony Robbins, like I always kind of go to those guys first and foremost. So I, I resonate a lot because he he's played a massive role in my life. One of the things that I'm curious about. So as you're going through that, like being in person in that environment, which I know it's just gotta be like mind melting, right? Like. What, what are you, like, what is happening in real time? Because I think like a lot of people are like, oh, I'm going to go get a coach or I'll go get a coaching certification and then everything's going to be different. But like there's steps, there's progress, right? Right, When when you're here and you're witnessing and you're looking at it and you're like, there's opportunity here. Like what is actually going through your mind that's leading you to, I'm going to go quit my job.
1: Yeah. So, so. I think the first thing you, you know, one of the first sessions we did with my coach, which is the first session you do when you do the high performance coaching program, is, is to get clarity. Um, and to get, you know, I was all over the place in terms of, um, where I was, but I had quite good clarity as to where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. And, and, and you don't have to have, you know, you don't have to have the supervision. Um, in your mind but it's helpful to know okay by the end of this week this month this this quarter this year this is what i want my life to look like and this is where i want to be and then and and just kind of really visualize it visualizing um the struggle which brendan talks about as honor the struggle um it it is visualizing that you know it's it's not going to be an easy road it's going to be bumpy it's going to be rocky you're going to fall over um but just but just keep keep going um so i think the big one for me was just doing the clarity initially energy as i said was rock bottom when we did the energy session and so there was a huge focus as you said um on my nutrition Uh, because i was i was comfort eating you know what at the time when I was at the firm, I was drinking copious quantities of wine, <laughs> excuse me, in the evening to numb the pain of the situation. Um, I was eating desserts like there was no tomorrow. I would have a double, double latte in the afternoon with a double shot of, of coffee to get me over the energy slump in the afternoon. And that would be coupled with a brownie. So, you know, I was had all the really bad, uh, enjoyable, Obviously, because it's a nice quick fix, but as a long term pain, um, uh, eating habit that I had to turn
3: around.
0: You and I are on a different spectrum, right? Because here I see, you know, you're thinking this way as a kid. I want to be good, be a good person, honor society, you know, honor society, playing sports, all that stuff. Me, I'm like breaking the houses, stealing cars, running from the cops, you know, hooking up with girls. Like it's really just chaos, right? Yeah. What when you moved, like? What started to happen in your life?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. It's so funny because my sister probably took the path that you took and I took the opposite path in responding to crisis in our lives. And um, so when we moved, the first thing that happened, um, you know, we sold the house that I grew up in. I reconciled with my dad because in my mind I thought, well, I'm moving to California. I don't know what I'll see him again. And if something ever were to happen to him, I wouldn't want to hold a grudge with him. I would want him to know I forgave him. I think I had come to meet the Lord. Like I I became a Christian. And it was one of those things where I was like, I don't want to live with unforgiveness and um, having unreconciled relationship with my dad. Like I loved my dad and it, it pained me that for that long I had had, you know, held a grudge with him. But it was almost like my way of having power over the decision he made to like I'm going to withhold myself from you because you made this decision to just like that disrupted and and divided our family um and, and then I was like, this is just that that's silly. I'm not going to hold that over anymore. And then we moved to California.
0: before you go there I have a question yeah. because when I was a kid, and I think so many people deal with this when they have moments of heartbreak as children. Mm-hmm. We become resentful. We push back. We put up gigantic walls. Obviously, you did for a period of time. Then to, to that place where you're like, I want to reconcile this. Those kind of words didn't exist in my vernacular as a kid. I was like, how the f- do I burn this house down, yeah. right? <laughs> so what I'm wondering is, where did that come from for you? is that innate? Is that a part of like the Jamie DNA? Because I'm sitting here like, I want to throw a brick through the window. And you're like, I'm gonna go and sit down and have a conversation.
2: Yeah. No, I do think it was partly um, because I became a Christian at that moment, like in that junior high phase, like for as much as I knew what it meant to be a Christian, Uh, you know, accepting, um, the death of, of Jesus on the cross for my sins and my wrongdoing. Um, and and so that I think is what really prompted inside of me that I can't hold unforgiveness towards him. Like if I am going to identify as a Christian and, and believe in that I I, for me, I couldn't, I couldn't hold unforgiveness towards him. Mm. I couldn't hold unforgiveness or any, any, Anger or, or I never was really bitter towards my biological parents. I actually more or less felt it, like what a gift, but also how hard, I mean, that's a whole nother story and another podcast of, of all of that stuff. But it just was one of those things. Like, I just, I don't know what made me do that, but I would say it was just my faith in God that I couldn't live. I couldn't call myself a Christian and then be like, unforgiving towards my dad.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I, it took me a long time to get to forgiveness. I mean, it, and even now I think about it in a magnitude of ways, one of which is in part, I think to some extent in its con- contextual, obviously, I think there are some areas in forgiveness in which it must be earned and mm-hmm. not just allotted. And I think for me, that just, that comes in relationships and reconciliation and a lot of those things. Cause you know it's one thing to be like i forgive you and then the same thing happens again
2: yeah
0: i played that game with my mom for you know my entire childhood yeah and then there's the other forgiveness where it is it is for you because it's like if you're carrying that backpack of bricks with you mm-hmm. everywhere you weighs you down yeah like, it does and it's not just the forgiveness of other people but like you have to forgive yourself too mm-hmm. and you know because Name a mistake, name a terrible thing a human being can do outside of killing someone. I've probably done it right. I've been able to go and stand and look in the mirror, be okay with the reflection on the other side, love myself as is, and just say, you know what? Like I'm human having Mm -hmm. a human experience and guess what? I'm going to screw up again. Like it's only inevitable, right? It's like, it's coming and so. That's so astute of you to be that young and obviously having, you know, I think we fail to look at mentors we have in in our childhood as, you know, even the kid who's a senior in high school, right? Or even the, you know, the, the church leader or whatever it might be for you. And I imagine there just must have been some people who just spoke into you in a really powerful way.
2: Absolutely. You know, and this is, I played competitive fast pitch. So, I had coaches, I had friends my my parents we had good friends. they were all there and supportive and everything so I mean it definitely wasn't just this like profound thing that happened in my life, just out of thin air but there were there was a community of people that were there and supportive in a very um um I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but in if they didn't realize the impact that they were making on my life to make me feel like I mattered. Like Mm. that, if that makes sense totally. Uh, or to keep going. And so, you know, my dad and I, we, we had those hard conversations and I was able to express the decisions that he had made and how, how it hurt me so deeply. And, and he apologized and he asked for forgiveness so it wasn't like i just gave it to him but there was um an exchange of that and of course i apologized for how disrespectful and and i mm-hmm. how i was with him and so it was this moment of release and um it almost wants to bring me to tears right now but it was just one of those things where it's like it pained me to hold that against him if for any longer like i just didn't want to do that um and and so because I was moving to Cal- from Washington to California with my mom and her new husband, who we did not know, we didn't know him very well. My sister ended up staying with my dad. My brother and I moved down to California. My older brother was out of, you know, graduating and getting married and everything. So he's doing his own life. Um, but we moved to California and we didn't know anybody. And I was a fresh, I was considered a freshman. So I went from a junior high of like maybe 400 people into uh, Santa Monica High School with, I think it had 2,200 kids.
0: And what I'm curious about is, as people are going through this, it, it dawned on me probably within the last year or so, like so much of what trauma is, it's not the abuse, it's not what happens. It's like the theft of identity and, and what I've discovered healing and going through this process and now working with so many people around the world, it's like, that's the thing we have to recapture. But I, I fear Dr. Leaf, that people are just quote unquote stuck. And because of that stuckness, they can't seem to go into the doing. So for those people, like, where do you start when you're in this place, where you're like I'm stuck. This is my identity. This is who I am.
4: Now, I'm really glad you started there, Michael, because it's a very relevant point. And what I believe a lot of the stucknesses come from is not understanding how to rewire the brain and understanding things like what is the mind? What's doing the work? We talk about getting through our stuff. What does that actually look like? You know, who's doing the getting through the stuff? Which part of us is doing that? You know, and, and that's when you start understanding those kind of concepts, it then gives you the power to get unstuck. You get empowered to change. So I've shown with my research, when you start understanding the power of the mind, and you know what, let me cancel that statement because it's overused. When you start understanding what it means to be alive, what it means to think and feel and choose, when you understand that, and when you understand how you can drive that, that you can actually control the messiness of your life and that it's okay to be messy, but as we just need to learn to manage that. That's when you become very empowered. And I showed us my research that you can actually get things like depression, anxiety, which which can be so incapacitating and which aren't illnesses, they're warning signals, but they are warning signals that can, can incapacitate us. But you can get those under control by a factor of 81, up to 81%, which is phenomenal without drugs, without any kind of fancy tricks, just pure mind management. And, and that's where I have worked in for all these years. So yes, we get stuck without the understanding. So it begins with understanding what the mind is, what the brain is, which I gave a brief explanation in the beginning. And then it it goes into how do we manage this process? How do we deconstruct and reconstruct and what do we do? So here's a, a, a little model of a brain. And it's most people think the mind and the brain are the same thing. People will talk about them and it's totally understandable because that's the languaging for the last 40 years. The languaging has been very much around the brain and the mind mind and the brain, but as though they're the same thing. We also get so many messages through the media that the brain is producing the mind or the thoughts come from the brain. And that's not totally accurate because if you did, dead, nothing happens with your brain. It just disintegrates. So there's a huge difference between you and I having this conversation and the viewers and listeners and someone who's dead because we are able to actually listen to each other and think and feel and choose, which are the three actions of the mind. Mind, thinks, feels, and choose. Think, feel, choose, think, feel, choose. It's an ongoing 400 operations per second cycling that helps you to actually process an experience like this discussion, like everything we have in life and process that puts it into the brain. So the mind's very active. The mind is you. It's your ability to think, feel, and choose. And we have this ability to interact with life. We take that through thinking, feeling, and choosing. That's kind of the currency. We put that into the brain as a structural change, and that then changes, sends a message to the body, and that's why it's stored in the body, and and we can talk a bit about that with PTSD and complex PTSD and so on, and then that combination of mind, brain, body then produces you, so it produces what you say, what you do, how you show up, so we take that process and we look at, okay, how am I showing up? I'm showing up stuck. I'm showing up stuck, I'm doing the same things, the same patterns, the same things over and over. So now we need to realize, okay, well, let me look at that pattern objectively. Let me stand back and observe myself and give myself grace and first say to myself, it's okay to be a mess. It's okay to be stuck. That's okay. That's how you're showing up. That's not who you are. That's not your identity, even though it may feel like your identity, even though you may feel like you've been stuck for years and years in the same thing that you want to say things like, this is who I am. It's not actually who you are. It's who you are at the moment because of, is a because of, there's a massive because of behind that. You know, your childhood trauma was a massive because of that, you know, produced your, your initial part of your life, which then, you know, you, you got to a point where you shifted and changed. And, you know, you so you, you felt you were reacting to life because when we have things happen to us, we wire that into our brain and we try and cope. And sometimes it's just so terribly painful like you experienced. That we wire weird, we wire toxic coping mechanisms into our brain. So when an experience is wired into the brain in a toxic way, it looks like this wiry tree. All the proteins are misfolded, and everything's all weird and wrong. Versus a healthy experience, this discussion is a is is a healthy thought you're grow. This would be a toxic thought, and this impacts how you function. And and it's a coping neck me- it's, it's this experience is in the roots. Like anything starts with the roots and then grows. This thing grows into. Your how you see yourself then this collectively is how you're showing up and whatever this is whatever the story is which in your case was all that trauma you experienced as a child showed up and it wouldn't have just been one it would have been multiple of these
0: and i think we're often driven by this idea like oh there's this thing i want to talk about this story that i want to tell but but we kind of get stuck and held back due to the fear of of possible repercussions that come with this and i i recognize and i understand that on the backside of you creating what what was a practical and really empowering film for me, there was a lot of people who were like, who does this person think they are? What are they talking about? This is nonsense, blah, blah, blah. How do you step into this place where you're willing to confront that and say, you know what, my message and my story is worth whatever comes along the backside of it?
5: Yeah, great question. I anticipated a lot more kind of scrutiny and pushback than I received. So that was kind of odd. Um I think that leading up to it, you know, actually this the movie The Secret was one of my kind of initial seed planters of of doing this film because, you know, it, it was a film that not particularly my my documentary style, but um I took these nuggets away that I I applied instantly in my life. And within months, weeks, my life changed. And I was like, wow it is all energy. And what we put out there, we do get back. And it just opened my eyes and, and I applied it and I was very empowered. And so, you know, at the same, around the same time as I watched The Secret, I started meditating. I was going to Agape and I was listening to Michael Beckwith. Um, I'm, I'm sure you know him. He's teaching and, and he was just empowering me. Like we're co-creators with life. And if we get a calling in our heart, you know, w- within every uh, acorn is an oak tree within every dream is everything you need uh, to see that dream realized. So if you have a calling to be an actor, if you have a calling to be a poet, if you have a calling to be an astronaut, every, that means that life, nature, the universe, God, whatever you believe puts that calling there, uh, you have the ability to, to see it realized. So I was I was acting at the time and I've been acting my whole life. I grew up in Southern California and um, off and on because it was you know, it's, it's just a tough business. You're getting rejected all the time. And and I actually initially started seeking out healers to like remove the blocks so I would be a better actor and just be freer and less self-conscious. And so uh, like around the same time, I started listening to Michael's teachings, practicing my gratitude work and seeing, you know, crazy manifestations occur and just my life feeling better. And um, And I really got these concepts that we are co-creators. And so... Uh, And then I started meditating at the time. So that that really rooted everything down. So all of that to say, um, once I was ready to do the film, I just had complete trust that this calling in my heart uh, and the reason I brought up acting was because I started getting more excited talking about manifestation and and healing and epigenetics. And we have so much more power than we've been led to believe. And um, this world of infinite possibility, I I started lighting up talking about that and less so talking about acting, something that I thought I wanted to pursue my entire life. And so I paid attention to that. And once I was ready to do the film, it took about eight years marinating this idea and gathering more research and more experts. Um, And once I was finally ready to do it, I was just like, you know, God, take the wheel. You put this calling in my heart. It is very strong. So I'm just going to trust that it's all going to unfold. And I'm just going to say yes and keep, you know, keep moving forward and, and let you take care of the, the hard stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I, I think that's so much of the, the human experience, right? We all have dreams. We all have ambition. We have goals. But the reality, and, and I think one of the biggest misconceptions that people have about creating your life is like, you actually have to do some stuff. Like you're like, as much as I love meditation and journaling, and it's a part of my daily practice, I know that those things are simply catalysts for me to figure out like, okay, cool. Now I have a better and more fine-tuned understanding of what it is that I'm going to have to do to make this dream idea vision come to fruition. When when you're in this and you're starting to build this out and you're learning and you're growing and you're like, okay, this is the story that I want to tell. I think that a big part of it is we, we subconsciously fight ourselves, Right. And we're in this place where, all right, I have this idea, I have this dream, but who am I to tell it? How do I do that? Why me? Was that a part of your narrative in this as well? And if so, like, how did you combat that?
5: Yes, for sure. I think we all have that like moments of imposter syndrome. I now have a very successful film and a book and a podcast and a platform. And I still question like, who am I to be this like wellness expert? You know, I still have human flaws. I still get sick. I still, you know, overdo it or, uh, you know, it's, we're, we're evolving. It's a, it's an ongoing process. Healing, healing will stop, you know, we'll, we'll be healing up until the day we leave this physical body. Um, so absolutely. And again, I just, uh, I love what you said. It's like, we have these daily practices, but we, it, it's all to stay grounded and have that clear communication between our kind of higher self, our guidance, spirit, whatever you want to call it, uh to then get clear on what action you need to take. So again, it was just like, it was such a strong calling in, in my heart. It was such a clear vision. People kept coming up to me and, and saying, how are you so happy? How are you so healthy? What do you eat? What do you do? What's your workout? And so I just, I literally was like, well, I can't, I'm just gonna put all of the people that empowered me into a film. And and it's, and it's still strange to me that it was about healing because again, uh, but I just, I just was like, there's so much more than just taking a pill to manage a symptom. It's like we can do extraordinary things if we're just given first the awareness, then the tools, and then the examples of possibilities So inspiring stories of other people who did extraordinary things. So I just, I just really trusted that, that passion pull in my heart. And I think it was a big, you know, because Michael Beckwith is so inspiring. He's up on the stage and he's like firing me up. I'm like, yeah, I can do this. Um, so it was just that perfect storm of, of inspiration, support, and, um, and I've always been a bit of a risk taker. I've, I played three varsity sports. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a competitive athlete, you know, like I want to, I I, I want to push myself, um, to see my potential. So, you know, that was the last factor was just like, I'm just gonna, just gonna do it and I'm gonna do it and see where it goes. You know, I'll, I'll jump, I'll take the leap.
0: Yeah. And, and so much of it is taking the leap. And on the backside of that leap, it like, is what I think about all of the time, like if you face your fear on the backside of being willing to face that, like greatness awaits you, or at least a really cool story, right? And so like, yeah. I think about that all the time. And, and one of the things in, in my healing journey, not only from the traumatic experience of my life, but the physical healing that my body went through was really recognizing that there is a part of your body, which when you understand biology, the number one thing is, Our brain is designed for is survival. So what does that mean? You have to be able to heal, you have to be able to continue to be resilient. Um, what I'm curious about those, if you'd be willing to dive in and talk a little bit more um, about the human body and the way that it is designed to in every moment, right, be able to look at disease and symptoms as feedback in ways that we can kind of step into the healing process. And yet somehow in that we still seem to intend to get into our own way.
5: Absolutely. So just a few like pillars that I think might change someone's perception if this is the first time they're hearing of it is the science of epigenetics. So we've been told for, you know, beginning of time, our whole lives that we are victims of our genes or we're subject to our genetic uh, code. And to an extent, this is true. But what we learn with the science of epigenetics and Bruce Lipton is one of the pioneers in this field Um, As a stem cell biologist, he discovered that it's actually the environment that turns genes on and off. So genes are like little switches. Our genetic code is a blueprint, uh, but then it's our lifestyle choices, our lifestyle behaviors. Um, The diet creates an environment within the body, Um, literally our physical environment around us. If there's toxins, if there's nature, fresh air, polluted air, all of that will create an environment outside of us. Um, And then for our perception of the environment. So we have this brain that from the age of zero to seven years old, this brain is just like a computer that's downloading software programs from the people around you. So usually your parents or your grandparents, the people that are raising you, um, your teachers, and you're just, you're like a sponge picking up the behaviors and learning how to survive in the world by paying attention to the people around you. So Um, when we talk about, you know, oh, it's genetic. Well, a lot of these genetic expressions are because you have the same pattern of diet, environment, behaviors, beliefs about life. Um, So those, those subconscious programs become your belief system and they're kind of downloaded into you between the ages of zero and seven. They're not even your beliefs. You're just adopting them from other people. So, and then they color the lens through which you look at at life. And, um, The best example of this is if you were raised a snake charmer in, let's say, India uh, and you were were taught to be around snakes and how, you know, cobras or whatever, I'm just making this up. I know nothing about snake charming. Um, If they are signs of, you know, a good omen and and power and it's actually a blessing if you get bit or whatever the story is, um, you're going to have a very different experience in your body than someone who is afraid of snakes. You're, You're walking down the path One person sees a snake and has a flood of um, oxytocin and joy because it's the good omen they've been asking for and they're not afraid of the snake. And the other person is going to have stress chemicals and adrenaline cursing through their body. So based on their belief system, they have two completely different biochemical reactions in their body. And so our subconscious beliefs are absolutely always need to be addressed when you are doing any kind of healing because they're just this, they're subconscious. We're not even aware that this lens is coloring our life and attracting people, circumstances, et cetera, to give us feedback uh, as to, you know, what we're believing about life. And then the final component of that, you talked about symptoms and physical disease. Um, You know, our symptoms are your body telling us that there's an imbalance. So whether it's a skin rash, whether it's a pain in your neck, whether it's Uh, you know, appendicitis, whatever your symptom is, um, that's giving you feedback that there's something off. And Western medicine tends to give you immediate relief by silencing that symptom by, um, you know, steroids to get rid of the rash. You're, You're basically taking away the feedback. It would be the same as if your house starts to get on fire, the smoke alarms going off because the smoke is billowing up. And that smoke alarm is really annoying. It's really painful. It's itchy, uh, you know, but instead of putting out the fire, you just take out the batteries of the smoke alarm so you don't have to hear that feedback. Um, And so as we understand that, we know that, you know, we may have to take we may have to take the batteries out just so we can have sanity while we're putting out the fire. But if we never put out the fire, we're just going to have to keep we're never going to really heal. We're just managing disease through symptom management.
0: think Unbroken. Thank you for being a part of Unbroken Nation, my friends, and until next time, be
3: You're sure to find your next closet go-to from American Giant. And it's all made in America and designed to last a lifetime. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's American-Giant.com. Code staple L E two zero. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich.